Yes, hello folks, welcome to Beyond the Pitch, first episode of the season. I'm your host, as always, Phil Brunger, with my fantastic regular co-host, Cal McFadden, at Football CFB, check them out if you haven't already. First net of podcast this season, uh, it's been a few months or weeks since the last time we recorded, a lot's happened since then, so first of all, how you doing, mate? I'm doing well, Phil, delighted to be back. Um, yeah. I knew when we got back to recording that the season would be not too far away, so I'm delighted and I'm looking forward to it. Yes, not too far away. Obviously, with the Euros now behind us, the fixation now is going to be on recruitment transfers. That's going to be the main talking point. Who comes, who goes, and how you need to prepare for the start of the season, which is really, really, really important. Um, let me ask you, uh, based on what you need have done so far, are you content? I think getting Sancho without it dragging on to the very end of the transfer window has to be seen as a positive. Mm-hmm. We spoke about this towards the end of, of last season that we worried it would be an endless saga. The Euros would delay it. So I'm delighted that he's secured. I think that's a really positive signing. I think it's a statement. I think United, as we've said for, for probably years now, have badly needed a natural player on the right-hand side. So I'm delighted with that, but I would still like to see more. And I, and I think, to be fair, with the noises that, that appear to be there, I think there could be more, but obviously you'll be able to, to shed more light on that for yeah. Well, we'll talk about Sancho first. Uh, pros and cons. First of all, I think where you need to deserve credit is in the past, they've been heavily criticised as a football club that just caves to someone's demands, meets them, gets the player at an inflated price, and he's been set up to fail more or less from the minute he walks through the door. You need to stay disciplined. Uh, I think they came out the better of the two in the deal. What I don't understand is Dortmund's negotiations, negotiation stance because what transpired in the last 12 months was entirely predictable that clubs would continue to lose revenue, that fans would not be in stadiums in any meaningful numbers. And obviously, with clubs losing money, this was going to be a buyer's market. Um, uh, but nonetheless, United have got their player. And with the news that Marcus Rashford could be out for the first couple of months, all of a sudden, that Jadon Sancho saying it becomes really, really important that he hits the ground running. Same with Mason Greenwood, same with Cavani, uh, uh, Martial, uh, and, and the Madden, whoever else plays up front. So um, all of a sudden, Jaden Sancho becomes very, very important now with Marcus Schweitzer's absence. He absolutely does. And, and I think it's something, and in terms of Rashford and getting this operation, I think that's a real positive. We, we, we again spoke about this towards the end of last season that it, it looked as if he was playing with an injury or he was carrying something. But until these things are confirmed, you're, you're never 100% sure. So I think it is wise for United to address this and for Marcus himself to address this. Because if when he gets back and he's fully fit and firing, there's one hell of a player there. And I think the thought of Sancho uh, on one wing, Rashford on the other, providing hopefully a fit Cavani who's able to play more games than he was last season. It's a mouth-watering prospect. But of course, with United, there is still that we worry about that. For me anyway, maybe I'm in a minority. The central striking position still worries me slightly, if I'm honest. Here's the thing about Marcus Rashford, and I don't know all the information, so I uh, could be jumping to conclusions here, but based on what I've discovered, uh, and just basically from reading things that are in the public eye, um, I have to say I'm disappointed at the timing of this. You know, if you look at the provisional Euro squad, Mason Greenwood pulled out of that provisional Euro squad to take care of an underlying injury that had been bugging him for months. Now, it may have been that he was notified before he pulled out that he wasn't going to be in the full squad anyway, possibly. I don't know. But Rashford, to me, is uh, 
one of the most beautiful human beings you could ever hope to have on your football team. Brilliant footballer, lovely kid. An example, not just to professional footballers, but anyone with notoriety on the platform on how you use it for good. Right? I, I, I will not criticize Marcus Rashford um, in most ways, but that doesn't mean that he doesn't, that he's immune from any type of criticism. This to me is poor from Rashford. Rashford should have done this before the Euros. I totally understand him wanting to play in the Euros for England and all that. Dark. I get that, right? But Manchester United have been carrying Rashford with injuries for basically the last couple of seasons, right? Towards the end of the season. This season, it's imperative United hit the ground running. It's imperative Manchester United had a priority. Why didn't Rashford do this before the Euros? I think that that's a very fair way to look at it. And again, with the power of hindsight that we've got now that the Euros is over, having seen how little he actually played for England, it makes me even more frustrated. And I think that's something that, for me, Gareth Southgate, if he had a plan in mind that Rashford was going to be a wee bit down the pecking order and you had the likes of Saka ahead of him, Grealish ahead of him, uh, Foden ahead of him and and maybe Sancho as well, I think that should have been communicated because England will be aware of this underlying injury as well as Manchester United. So I, I agree, I think... It looks poor, given the fact that he didn't play an awful lot, and now they're saying he could miss up to 12 weeks. Um, Obviously, it could be shorter than that. You know how these things work. But if he misses 12 weeks from now, that's about nine weeks of the season he's going to miss, Mm -hmm. which is is actually an awful lot of the season to miss when you consider that United's fixture list is... It's, It's an okay start to the season, but there's a really, really tough time that comes. I think it's around October time which is where yeah. you would like to have him fully fit and ready to go rather than on the road to recovery. Well, here's the things that we've learned with United, right? There is no easy games, right? Because the easy games are the games United make hard. And this is the games that they can't afford to lose. If you look at last season, right? United lost the same games as City last season, right? But it really, you can point to two periods of season when that really happened. And this is what United can't do. They can't turn one defeat into two. Right, it has to be like it is with City a one-off, right? So um, you can't drop points against Sheffield United at home next season, right? You can't do these things. So if they have any intention to win the league, that means they have to look at their fixtures the start of the season the same way it would if they were starting against Liverpool City or Chelsea. That professionalism, that application. I mean, I am haunted by Crystal Palace at home last season, right? That can't happen. You need to have to go in this season one hundred percent prepared. And don't fall behind early because you can't win the league the first couple of months, but you can't lose it. And 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 giving yourself, you know, six to ten points to catch up with Man City, it's just too much because you have to be perfect. They can afford to make mistakes, and I, I just feel that these are these. This is something that Rashford is wrong for. Even if he misses a week of the first uh, of the season, it's not acceptable, right? And here's the thing. He might be fit back to her, but he's not going to be much fit back to her. You're still looking at least another month before you get him up to speed. So you're really not looking at a Riceford back until November. You know, the January transfer window is eight weeks away from November. So essentially, United are going to get to November with, with one of their main uh, strikers missing. Now, Cavani's on record. Well, Certainly not on record, but, but Cavani has communicated to Manchester United that he will not play the same number of games that he played last season. Um, he's going to play even less. 
And in fact, he was complaining about playing two days a week. Um, and uh, so you don't have to factor this in. It's not realistic to assume Edison Cavani is going to start. Um, and we still got question marks over Martial. You know, it's not realistic Cavani is going to start Champions League, Premier League every week until October. So th- this is a big concern. It makes you wonder if Greenwood will have to, uh, through necessity, play more games through the middle next season. Because if Rashford is going to be out, as we've said, without being fully match fit until November, Cavani's not going to play every game. We've spoke again, uh, going back to last season. I would not be hanging my hat on Anthony Martial. I hope he's a strong pre-season. He was out of that French squad. Obviously, it didn't go well for them at the Euros anyway, but... I just still wouldn't be confident in saying that he will turn up and be a different player to what we've seen in the last two years. I still think we'll have good spells and I think we'll have really frustrating spells. And I think it's imperative that United have a striker when Cavani is not playing who can lead the line effectively. And that's what makes me think Greenwood through the middle is going to be a necessity because United can't afford, as you've said, to have games like Sheffield United at home, have games like Crystal Palace where a team is sitting deep and United can't break them down or they can't have a moment of magic because those things will cost you titles. And it's frustrating when they cost you titles because you know, in my opinion, when you are beating the top sides around you, that's the those are the pressurised games. That's the really mm-hmm. hard task, or it should be the hard tasks, whereas your home games against sides in the bottom half should be bankers for a team like Manchester United. You will get the odd draw in there. Every team always does, even, in the, even when they win league titles. But for the most part, Old Trafford has to become a fortress again, because if it doesn't, it's all well and good saying, oh, we didn't lose away from home. We've got this great uh, record away from home. Mm-hmm. But if your home record is poor then uh, when fans are back especially, it can mm-hmm. lead to a tense atmosphere and United need to get those fans when they're back fully behind the team, fully pushing the team over the line and going for titles because they need to get closer to the title next season. Love Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, a legend of the football club. I think he's definitely progressed Manchester United since he took post, but I do think he has to win a, t- a, a, a trophy next year. I was going to say a title, a trophy. If you can, again, get close to the title and win a trophy, you can say that's another year of progress, mm. but he certainly has to be close and he certainly has to deliver silverware, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a minute because I really do want to get into that and I want to cover that um, because it seems that there's never any nuance with Solskjaer and the opinions online. It seems everything's polemic. You either... People always look at it through you know, an absolute lens. You either are 100% all in or you're 100% all out. And there's no room for any nuance in that discussion. No one's allowed any. And it's just insanity to me that people think this way and think that you think this way and think that others think this way and that any praises means that I'm a, you know, a psychophant, a psychophant of, uh, a psychophant and any, any criticism. You know, I get, you wouldn't believe it, like I'm sure everyone does, but I get people slaughtering me, saying I'm all out, and I get people slaughtering me, saying I'm all in, which I really don't understand because I've never been anything other than all in, but that comes with the same conditions that every other manager's native manager has, but I'll get to that in a minute. Um, so in, with, the, with some of the other talking points, of course, um, Sancho, I think, where Sancho is really important, and one of the things that we had a problem with last season, Callum, was um, too many times United didn't break down teams when they dominated possession, right? They were good in counterattacks, but they need individual creativity because what you've got against teams that when they take the lead against United, United have done a brilliant job coming back uh, into games last season, but 
uh, that didn't start happening, I think, until about October, where they started. If you look at the start of the season, we United were really poor. Um, you know, they, they, they had a problem where teams would score, sit in against them, and, and United couldn't break them down. Um, this is where Bruno Fernandes came in and really helped. And I think this is where someone like Jaden, you need players like Jaden Sancho have individual quality that can cut a team open, can create something out of nothing, can score a goal when you badly need it. Jaden Sancho's in here being brought in, not to win the games against Norwich and against Brantford next season, to beat the big difference in games against Liverpool, against City, against Chelsea. You know, any player who could, who's good enough to play for Manchester United should be good enough to make a difference against teams in the bottom half of the table. You you spend that type of money to win massive games. That's where I want to see Jadon Sancho make his mark next season. I want to see him make his mark in these big games, right, that determine um, your legacy as a Manchester United player. So uh, I, I think that's something that he will make a difference in. Um, but there's obviously some other question marks. Um We'll talk about transfers here. Let's get that, that deal with this. So Varane, Varane, whatever you want to call him, um, <clears throat> is uh, obviously someone that I'd like, someone that I've liked for a long time. And I'm fortunate enough to know people involved in that deal. Um, and uh, I've spoken to them. I've spoken to everyone involved in it. Uh, you get different feedback based on who you talk to. Uh, you obviously have to understand that... Uh, one party is reluctant to uh, it's to create expectation that doesn't get met. And then the backlash comes when that player doesn't get signed. So naturally, there is some um, pessimism. And then there's you know, different. Anyway, the, the overwhelming view is I'd be very shocked if Rafael Varane did not end up a Manchester player. So I'm going to assume at this point that he will. So anything could go wrong, of course, you know, transfer situations are fluid. Things are, but I'm going to make a, uh, just like we do every day, I'm going to make a probabilistic prediction, right? That he will be a Manchester United player. Varane, Varane, uh, well, well uh, of course, Sancho, Kamavinga uh, is someone United like. Uh, he's a player United have liked for a while. Uh, I see James Ducker's talk this morning about, um, Kamavinga possibly preferring Spain, which I said last week, and took Pelters for. And the only reason why I say that, not to pat myself on the back, simply because I don't care if you agree or disagree with me. I don't care if you think I'm a fraud or not. But what I'm not going to have is you uh, level abuse at me and question my integrity. I've been doing this a long time. And either I'm clairvoyant or I'm lucky enough to speak to one or two people in the game. Why that's so hard to believe for people, I do not know. I've been interviewing Manchester United players for a decade. How do they think that happens? And magic? You know, I mean, it, it, do you think that you work in football for 10 years and don't talk to people? It's ridiculous. So anyway, um, Kamavinga is someone in United Lake, but he was signed by Stella, who, of course, you know who they are, Gaspiel's agency, on the premise that they would get him a move. And I think they will get him a move. Um, uh, certainly Ren are, are interested in selling and he very well could be a Manchester United player but there's some conditions to this right? so it's not anywhere close as was initially reported and secondly um, United cannot sign Kamavinga without selling okay um, 
critique that as a fact, right? Um, or should I say, very unlikely. Uh, I would imagine if they go through with the Kamavinga deal immediately after Varane, it's because they've got players already sold um, and they're confident those deals are going to go through. Budgetary ways, um, United are going to have a problem doing that Kamavinga deal without selling. Um, there's a number of players, obviously, that are United are interested in selling. Andres Pereira is one, of course. Lingard's one. West Ham can't afford him at the minute. Um, lots of talk about Alex Tellez. Now, I don't know anything about Tellez either way, but what I would say is this. He's been largely credited with Luke Shaw's, well, certainly a part of it anyway, um, renaissance. So why would you need to sell Tellez and put themselves back in the position that they were in before with no cover for Luke Shaw, especially when Brandon Williams is mostly going to go out and loan? So I don't see United selling Tellez and also Solskjaer's on record saying, if we sell, we have to replace those players. I don't see Tellez going because they think United would need to send another left back if he goes. Um, so I think if I was, I think that Varane will get done. Varane, sorry if I'm saying that wrong. Um, obviously, Sancho. Uh, I think another one will happen uh, before the end of the window. But I think you're going to see a gap between Varane and any other signings. I think United are going to concentrate on getting players out at that point, um, which is not easy. Obviously, the public situation is a mess. One of the, the things that also intrigues me, and we spoke about it towards the end of the season, was the goalkeeping situation. Tom Heaton's come in in a free. Lee Grant's also got a new contract. It makes you wonder, will one of the goalkeepers potentially, I don't want to say be on the market, because that's harsh to both of them, but do you think United would listen to offers for one of the two goalkeepers, considering they'll have a number one, whether it's De Gea or um, Henderson? They'll have an understudy in Tom Heaton, and they would have Lee Grant as a third-choice keeper as well. 100%. I mean, how could they not? First of all, this is the, the, the Gea Henderson situation is not sustainable, right? There has to be a decision made at some point between who's number one. Now, the, the talk is David De Gea is okay with staying, whether he's number one or number two or not. If that's true, that tells me why David De Gea is in decline, right? David De Gea should be looking at himself as the best goalkeeper in the world and saying, I don't sit in the bench for nobody, right? If he's resigned himself at 30, which is the prime of a goalkeeper's career, to say, I'm happy to sit on the bench for Dean Henderson. Then serious question marks need to be asked, right? And to sit for, for a player who's not motivated to be number one, that also doesn't help Dean Henderson, right? So do I think if someone came along, first of all, you never are not in a position they were a year and a half ago where they could afford to ignore offers, right? If someone comes in and offers you a solution to Dean Henderson, problem and I think they listen to offers for either of them I do you take it right here's the thing Calm. right if you look at European football for the next five ten years there's an amazing opportunity here for somebody to really dominate because Real Madrid and Barcelona are on their knees right Italian football is virtually bankrupt right so basically you've got the German teams you got Bayern Munich and PSG right uh, there's an amazing opportunity here for a big European club that's well funded right to dominate this is what scares me about the, the future of Man City and everything, because if you look at the Europe, where's the challenge coming? I don't see it, right? Barcelona and Real Madrid will probably get picked apart by teams that have money. Inter Milan, Juventus are all looking to sell. So I don't see where that challenge comes from. So uh, I think um, for United, 
they don't have a lot of options on who they can sell these players to. So if you get somebody who comes in this summer and offers you big money, you take it. Um, and I, I, but I don't think that's going to happen. That's the interesting thing about the market you mentioned with West Ham and Lingard, where the money is going to come from for some of these um, smaller clubs. And I don't mean smaller in, in a disrespectful manner. I just mean smaller in terms of finances because you, you've mentioned the situation in Italy. French football is also in a dire, dire position, has been reported widely as well. You mentioned Barcelona. Messi, by all accounts, signing a five-year contract, 50% reduced wages. And uh, this might make me sound silly. And uh, uh, Messi, for me, great, probably arguably the greatest player that's ever played the game. But the rumours are it's a five-year contract. Five-year contract for Messi at his age. Um, fair enough, he's, he's the ultimate icon and you want to keep him at the club for as long as you can. But... It does it again? That doesn't scream sustainable to me when it comes to Barcelona. Madrid, as you've said, definitely need to get rid of some stars. PSG are the side that worry me. Um, I think if they can go over the line in the Champions League, then I think they could go on and dominate. But the key thing is they need to get over the line. They've signed Ramos this summer, who is aging but still got star power. They've signed Wijnaldum, who, by all accounts, a lot of teams, including Bayern Munich, were interested in. And crucially, they're signing Donnarumma, which could cause an issue because they've got Navas as well. I think they'll be a threat. I totally agree with you. Exactly, and I totally agree with you on Manchester City. There's rumours City could go and get a Jack Grealish. They could maybe talk them into selling Harry Kane. That's going to only make them stronger. I I, I think United, Sancho has done, which is, as you asked me at the very start, is a positive. Varane, Varane, however Mm -hmm. people, whatever their choice of pronunciation is, I think would be an upgrade and would be really good alongside Maguire. One more, I think, is absolutely needed. Kamavinga excites me, I have to say. He does excite me. I do worry a wee bit that if he came in at this stage that there would be a lot expected of him from the press, from fans, when he is still a young player who is developing. Um, But mind you, that's the sort of player I do think United have to be taking rather than letting him go elsewhere and buying him five years from now. Mm -hmm. But I I definitely think a midfielder is key. The, The outgoings... The outgoings, as I say, at this moment in time, with United, let's be honest, Phil, they always worry me because United have had a, a situation in recent years where they don't maximise the value of the players that are leaving the club. Mm-hmm. And I just fear that if they don't get the money they want for Lingard, that with Rashford's injury, they might be tempted to maybe keep him ticking over until January and look at it again there. I could be totally off with that, but mm-hmm. I just worry there might be a temptation to keep some of these players around to just buffer the squad a wee bit. I think the problem for Lingard is it is a very short-term solution. You know, the reason why he's not getting in the team is because of Bruno Fernandes. Um, so I think for him, if he delays making a, a decision about his future for a couple of months, I, I would think that's mad because if he has a poor couple of months, that good six months will get quickly forgotten. Uh, and so um, I think it's a risky, risky move on both United's part and Lingard's part because Lingard could lose that value really, really easy. Um, so I think uh, you have to be very, very careful about that. You know, some of the other things that we talked about, Cam, was could Van der Beek be used in a you know a, a part deal for Varane? I haven't been able to get anyone to stand that up. Um, I've, I've asked and asked and asked and everything comes back. Is, I know nothing about it. I, I've never heard anything about that. So I expect he will be in the next season. That's something that pleases me. I want to see him there. I'm not ready to give up on him. I still think there's a top player in him. Uh, and it would genuinely 
sadden me if he went somewhere else and showed the potential that we know he's that he's got. So hopefully we see a better Van der Beek this season. Um, and and, and um, it'd be interesting to see what you need to do in there, um, especially if Pogba leaves. I think sending someone like a Camavinga, I was talking to Jonathan Johnson right before this podcast, of course, a French football expert, brilliant guy, and I was asking him about the comparison between, because PSG are interested in Camavinga too, and whether he is ready to go to a move to a big club and be a Paul Pogba replacement, is he of that level? And the, the prevailing view is, no, he's not at that level, not close, but he is still an exceptional young talent of a Duke Bellingham type level that you want to get in your team, that you want to get, because getting them at 30 million euro or there is, is a steal. You know, you don't get young talent like that anymore. At that price, it's very, very hard to do. So um, it is encouraging to me neither looking at that type of player. I don't want to see them miss out the way they did with Bellingham. Um, I want to be careful because when I give you the credit, it always backfires. I t- tweeted a week ago that how great the football, how, how the symbiotic relationship between the football club uh, and the executives and how well they're doing. And then this madness comes out about the women's team, which is just a total embarrassment to the football club and really a disgrace. Um, uh, uh, and indefensible to treat women that way and to treat a women's team that way is an afterthought, basically nothing more than a box ticking exercise. That That's totally unacceptable for a football club like Manchester United. Um, uh, and, and they deserve all the criticism that comes away on that. Uh, there's still no manager. Disgraceful um, uh, uh, facilities and treatment and just totally unacceptable, man. But um, well, the other the other thing with that Phil as well is obviously Lauren James is is set yeah, to move to Chelsea and yeah. a, a, a big fee a record between two WSL clubs. But when Manchester United are selling their best players to a direct rival to strengthen an already good Chelsea side, um, it just it just beggars belief. And as you've said, I don't blame her because no manager, poor facilities. Mm-hmm. I think any of us, if we were in a line of working, we weren't happy with our management upstairs and the facilities we're working in, we'd look to move. But it's a very, very concerning state of affairs. It really is. And I hope it's addressed as a matter of urgency. But just judging by the reports, it doesn't quite seem like it. But hopefully I'm wrong in that one. You know, man, listening to some of the American players and that college facilities for females are better out here than professional facilities. And look, there's laws out here that says you cannot offer women uh, substandard facilities in comparison to men. They must be offered equal access. Um, that to me is basic common sense. And uh, I, my heart goes out to the women 100%. And you need to either do it right or don't do it at all, as um, Noreen was saying, and I completely agree. Um, you know, it's almost an insult to take it on and then not do it properly. You know, uh, it's not almost an insult. It is an insult. And uh, I just think that a football club, this say, should be doing better. Um, that being said, um, what, what I meant, it, there's been people that are so polemic with Solskjaer, right, that you just can't get any reason discussion of these people. And when you're that uh, pathological about something, you lose credibility on the topic because I already know what you're going to say. I already know because see when when you're when you're emotionally committed to a particular view and you refuse to accept evidence that refutes that view because uh, you're emotionally committed to it, you know that's willful ignorance, right? And I'm not a hundred percent either way. Look, Solskjaer can't be in a perpetual rebuild. No manager gets that over and over and over again. So at some point, the future, the present has to be the future you were talking about, right? Solskjaer is in a position where, in my opinion, even if it's just Sancho and, and, and Varane, that's enough. 
we should be enough. That should be enough to expect a title challenge, right? Now, does that mean if he finish, if he loses the league on goal difference, we sack him because it's a hard line? No, right? If there's obvious progress being made, there, you don't sack them up, right? But, you know, people measure progress. And to me, winning the League Cup and winning the Europa League is a, is, is a marker of progress, but certainly not an example or evidence that you've arrived, right? So that's enough to, to, to get you next season. And it's not enough to continue keep you on a job two years after. So start talking about what Mourinho won. Right? Mourinho didn't get sacked for Mourinho got sacked for the fact he hadn't won a game from November 3rd to mid-December. And they were, you know, they were an absolute mess. That's why he was sacked. So um, yeah, so I think for for me, Solskjaer has to deliver next season. I think uh he 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 is unquestionably improved in it from where he from what he took over to what he has now and i said this before sorry mate just to, to wrap up Solskjaer's brought in the manager football club right <clears throat> yes i agree that he wasn't hard on merit i agree that he was a stopgap and i agree on a lot of the criticisms that come his way right not all of them some of them are ridiculous right um <clears throat> every some people every defeat is Solskjaer's fault and every win is an accident um so for me i think uh He's unquestionably improved the football club, improved the signings, improved the, the, the standard of football by watching it for his second high goal scorers in the league last season. They had the best away record in all of Europe's top leagues. You know, um, they, 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 they finished the second behind City. Um, not perfect, but progress. And uh, look at the signings that's being made this summer, right? That's progress. So for me, uh, Solskjaer's done a great job. Um, you, I don't care if you disagree, that's fine to you, but uh, not complete yet. And next season, I think, is a big season for him. Massive. And, and I think, as you've said, you cannot go into it in a, in a binary manner to say, win the league or bust. Because as you've said, if you lose a league in goal difference, or for instance, if he was to get to a Champions League final and narrowly lose out, you could not sit back and say that's not progress. Of course it is. And I think it's important that people look at it in a fluid manner because I think that's the way any top football club operates. I don't think you can be binary with these things of, yes, this is it, or no, it's absolutely not, because things can change very quickly. As you mentioned with Mourinho, things can change very, very quickly. But mm -hmm. the way I look at the, the summer so far for Solskjaer, he's always wanted Sancho. That's been his priority target for a period of time. United have got his man, so I, I'm pleased with that. If you get Rafael Varane, that's an elite centre-back, which we've all been crying out for. That's another real positive. And with the progression that the side showed last year, I, I just don't see how they cannot be up there challenging. Obviously, you could, we, we, in two weeks' time, we might be saying, wow, Man City, I've, I've, I've done X, Y, and Z. But from controlling the, controlling the parameters that you can, Sancho coming in and Varane coming in is an absolute improvement. If you can get one more in the midfield area, Again, going in the right direction and it's time to prove it. So I think you have to look at it from a fluid point of view. For me, it's, he's undoubtedly progressed the club on and off the park. Luke Shaw um, for England at the Euros. Again, he was great for Manchester United last season, but he goes on to do it for his country as well to show that it's not just a one-season wonder that's been labelled to certain players. He continued that form. He scored in the highest stage of involvement in the European Championship final. And for me, his progression, obviously a lot of it's down to him, but he has a manager that believes in him. The situation that Rashford had to deal with after the penalty missing some of the most abhorrent abuse 
Again, Solskjaer, very, very supportive as he is with all the players. He knows he's coming back to an environment where he's going to be treated with respect. He's going to be treated with dignity. But crucially, there's also going to be high expectations as well. One thing that frustrates me with the Ollie Out people, as we've talked about earlier, is some of them accuse uh, Ollie of not being uh, ruthless at times. I think he has been very ruthless at times when, he ha- when he's had to be. You look at some of the players that he's got out of the club. He's, he's, he's come in. These, are not, these guys are not fitting what I want to do. They're gone. He wants his number one target, so he's getting his number one target. He's had to wait an extra year for it, but he's not just went out and taking somebody else for 60 million who's on the market and could do a kind of similar job. He's waited, he's got his man, and for me, that's a sign of a good manager who knows exactly what he wants. And these are people that think these are black and white decisions because from their perspective, it is a black and white decision. It's like just sell them like you do on a computer game. But that's not how life is. You have so many variables that don't exist in a controlled program like a computer game. You go get rid of a player, um, you you bin him, uh, and you get a reaction inside the dressing room, depending on the reason why you did it. Um, it's not always positive. You know, one you 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 make the wrong decision with players, you lose their trust, right? Uh, there's so many ways. If you look at the way Solskjaer handled the Sanchez, Alexis Sanchez, um, and and the Lukaku stuff. Lukaku exits up until more or less the day before they were leaving. Solskjaer was talking about I mean, part of his plans, everything else, even though he knew that wasn't the case. That's and then fans getting upset at him for that. Right? Like you have to have a brain here and realize what's going on. Solskjaer is not going to lead the Glazer out campaign, nor should he, nor should he be expected to, nor should that be a reasonable expectation, right? No United manager has, right? And when it comes to the levels of culpability for the Glazers, he's at the bottom. Jose Mourinho won't their friend either. He can give a shit about the Glazer right people. Right? And this weird perverse loyalty to him as if he was somehow a, a sleeper cell on the inside. Couldn't give a shit about Green and Gold or Man United. Not new. It's, uh, Van Hal didn't head it up either. Certainly Ferguson didn't. You could argue he uh, he done the opposite. Moyes. So why is this an expectation of Solskjaer? Ridiculous. Right? So, um, you know, uh, he is someone that clearly loves a football club, without a doubt, loves that football club, right? And wants what's best for them. Um, so, you know, I, I just don't understand some of the expectations that they have of him. And um, as if you finish second in the Premier League by accident, you know, it's just absolutely absurd. Anyway, so what other positive things? He had a set piece coach, sort of went on their radar a bit, right, Ramsey? You then conceded 14 goals from set pieces last season, right? And I was just, I just did it last season. Go back and it, that, that trend continues. It's one of the most frustrating things that, it, that happens at United, where they consistently concede stupid goals from corners, free kicks, what have you. So that's encouraging. You know, I remember you won't, but uh, you were, you may not even be born or just a baby. But when, when, when Kevin Sheedy brought in Terry McDermott as a defensive coach, at Newcastle, and people absolutely lost their minds. This is the nature of football. We've got special teams. we got all this now. Uh, encouraging to see Solskjaer bring in a, a coach that specifies in this particular area because, uh, yeah, these are the margins, Callum, that you have to eliminate so that you can win titles. Absolutely. I, I spoke to Th- Thomas Gronemark, who is the, the throw-in coach who, at Liverpool, who, when he went in there, he was mocked by certain elements of the media. What did they need? 
And the first thing he said to me when I spoke to him was Liverpool were 20th in the Premier League when it came to throw-ins, chances created and also uh, chances against. And then after two, a year and a half of work, they went to number one. They went on to win the title. Of course, they won the title for much more than just their throw-ins. But it just goes to show you, fine margins in football, same with any elite sport, play a massive, massive role. And if you can get someone in who can reduce that 14 against and half it to seven, seven, you could still argue you're still frustrated a wee bit too many. But if he can half that, that's progress. That might be turning two draws into two wins or, or whatever it may be. So I think that's a real positive because one thing that frustrates me with managers, and to be fair, Sir Alex Ferguson was good at this, sometimes they're very loyal to a set of staff and even when things haven't progressed or things are stagnating for a number of years, they still remain totally loyal to that staff and don't bring someone in from the outside to maybe help address a weakness. And for me, I think you have to look at that as a position of strength because if you're identifying a weakness that you're looking at your staff that you've got and thinking, we might not be best suited, we've been trying our very best for a couple of years, why not bring somebody else in who's got the expertise to come in and take it on and help you? Because the the, the most well-rounded mm-hmm. staff is what every elite football club should be striving for. Manchester United have got a massive budget when it comes to uh, staff wages, the same with any of the top Premier League clubs, and it's important that if there is that expertise out with the football club that you bring in, look at Justin Cochrane as well, with the youth development setup, highly regarded at the English FA, he becomes available, you come and bring him in uh, to Manchester United because he can only make the the, the, the the academy set up even better, and I think that's what you always have to do. If there are improvements that can be made, go and make them. Don't wait until someone else does it to think, ah, maybe we should copy it. Be proactive rather than reactive. And for me, as I say, it's a real positive and something that that hopefully we'll see the benefit of on the park next season. One other thing I want to mention, uh, people getting upset at the Mara and Grant uh, contract extensions. You see, this is, for me, um, an illustration of uh, the nature of our society today. Everybody wants something new. I mean, well, I want a, want a new toy. You know, ah, we're bored with Matt and Grant, get rid of them. And if I don't get, it's because uh, it's it's about uh, you being parsimonious and just not spending the money. Right? Now, I'm, I, I don't have to keep prefacing every uh, commentary with this, but I'm obviously anti-glazer. I, I, I will never be convinced that their ownership is in Manchester's best interest. But the people that look through the prism and all roads lead back to the Glazers. You know, the, the, I don't understand that, right? Oh, you never bought this lawn more when they could have spent 10 grand on that one, but they bought this one for nine grand, that's the Glazers. You know, uh, you never could have bought these light bulbs, but bought the other ones because they're a bit cheap, that's the Glazers. And it's just insanity, right? Mara and Grant did not get contract extensions because it cost too much to replace them. They got contract extensions because you needed need that experience in the dressing room because they provide value, right? So just because you needed to ban a new goalkeeper, a new midfielder to satisfy your tantrum, right? Doesn't mean it's because of the Glazers, right? I mean, the Glazers' nefarious treatment of Manchester United bang out in the open. You don't have to invent scenarios, right? So the, 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 does, does no other football club extend the contracts to veterans? on their, It's absolute madness. You know, they want 20 new players every year. Otherwise, it's the Glazers stealing money. You know, like, it's ridiculous. You know, and, and the Glazers have done so many things wrong. It's so obvious. 
inventing scenarios is ridiculous. Look, I have no issue whatsoever on Mata. Uh, Lee Grant will never play, so why do I care, right? Um, Mata, you know, bring him in for a couple of League Cup games. He's never embarrassed United. He's always done a good job. What's wrong with Juan Mata? Juan Mata's a good player. There's nothing wrong with Juan Mata. How you spoil some people? Jesus Christ, I, mean, I remember Ralph Milne. <laughs> well, you, you, you sum up the, the key element there, especially with Lee Grant. Being a third-choice goalkeeper and people laugh, oh, they don't care, they're only there for the money. It takes a certain type of personality, someone that's willing to be selfless and help push the two in front of them. He realistically knows, unless there's an emergency, he's probably not going to play. But everything that I've heard about Lee Grant from the other goalkeepers speaking, from the coaches speaking, is that hard professional comes in, does his best every day to try and push the guys in front of him. And that's all you can ask. Juan Mata, as you've said, he won't be starting regularly. The guy has played at the highest possible level. He's won European trophies. He's represented his country in a World Cup winning campaign. He is the sort of professional you want in and around that dressing room. You think of some of the youngsters that are starting pre-season, Jimmy Garner starting pre-season. Um, you think of Mebry that we've talked about before. We think of Hugo, even, even Greenwood and guys that are in the first team. Juan Mata is an incredible role model for these guys. He always communicates well. He trains well. And it says a lot about him that United want him to stay, even though he is getting on a wee bit in age. United wanted him to stay. You know, that's a, that's a decision that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his staff have made. A lot of people, as you've said, Phil, talking about the Glazers. I don't think Joe Glazer went to Juan Matt and said, you better sign this contract and you better stay in Ole, you better keep him. It's a decision that's been made by the club. Every single club has a squad of around 25 players or more for the Premier League, for the, the the Champions League, League Cup, FA Cup. Having an experienced pro who can maybe only play 15 games a season is no bad thing, especially when he's given you so much and more off the field and in the changing room. It's a no-brainer, an absolute oh God, no-brainer. Yeah, I mean, I, I, wait a minute, Dor- Doris, the her, her employment contract's up this summer if we don't sack her and get Gordon Ramsay in the serve tea. <laughs> uh, the Glazers, you know, we don't sack a lot of stuff, right? And bring in a bunch of pros, bring in uh, you know a bunch of designers. At the Glazers, I mean this is the level of insanity you've reached. Imagine your man works at Old Trafford for twenty years, gets sacked, comes home, says, "All right, son's progress. They've hired they've hired Gordon Ramsay to do my job, right? Because if they'd have kept me, you know, I at the Glazers, you know, Penny Pinson. You see, this is these are the people made the the, the ruin. And then by the way, just standing there, sitting around social media, abusing people is not activism. Right, you're doing nothing, right? And sit there and 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 have this myopic view of everything. You know that uh, anyone that wears anything Manchester United so is endorsing the glazers. What are you doing, other than being in the natural? By the way, Bunties uh, are getting on mass. There's Liverpool fans, everything else. Right? I will support any organized movement that gets the glazers out. What I'm not going to support is arseholes on the internet sitting or tweeting, sniping at people, right, with green and gold in their badge doing nothing to forward the conversation and who've diluted the conversation so much about the glazers and made it about so many of all their own personal agendas that it doesn't get taken seriously, right? Because it morphs into everything else. So for me, I, I don't I don't do that, right? So um, I, whatever these people want to say about me, I don't care, right? But um you know, the, 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 this is this this myopia is just it goes over the top at times. Um, anyway, uh, mate, I think we we've, we've been rambling on for long enough. You got an idea before we go? 
Uh, just one wee tiny thing to add about information that I've had about Jimmy Garner. He's definitely starting pre-season with the first team. There have been approaches for him from clubs in the Championship. A few clubs in the Premier League have expressed interest and clubs also outside of English football have expressed interest as well. But he's definitely starting pre-season from what I've been told. Be interesting to see what happens. I would like to see him get a Premier League move. Um, maybe to team mid-table bottom half maybe Southampton or somewhere like that there and really get to see how he performs week in week out at that level uh, I think he's an exceptional young talent folks don't forget uh, check out my colleague here at Football CFB um, you can download his podcast everything else um, don't forget subscribe to Beyond the Pitch BTP Media on all major podcast platforms uh, we have a Facebook page if you're on there please like it Beyond the Pitch it helps all these things help us follow us at Beyond the Pitch on Twitter. Uh, thank you so much, Calm. Always a pleasure, mate. And uh, we'll be back next week. Delighted. Can't wait. Cheers, mate. See you, folks. Bye.